Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including Hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. All right, welcome to Chapter 30 of Mackey's Revised History of Freemasonry, Prehistoric Masonry. Chapter 30 is Freemasonry and the House of Stuart. Another theory connects the Royal House of the Stuarts with Freemasonry as an institution to be adopted and used. This, not on account of its own particular value on moral and similar grounds, but that it might serve as a political power to restore an exiled family to a throne which the follies and even the crimes of its members had lost. Such a theory is so opposed to all that it has been supposed to be in accord with the true spirit and character of Freemasonry that one would hardly believe that this was ever seriously accepted as a fact were it not for the many proofs that exist of that curious conclusion. The history of the family of Stuart, from the coming of James I to the throne of England to the death of the last of his family line, the young pretender, is a tale of follies and sometimes of crimes. The reign of James was marked only by arts which could gain for him through those later years no higher standing than that of being vain in his learning, a royal pedant. His son and successor, Charles I, was beheaded by an outraged people whose rights and liberties he had sought to betray. His son, Charles II, after a long exile, was finally restored to the throne, only to pass a life of lust and idleness. On his death, he was succeeded by his brother, James II, a prince noted as a bigot. Zealous for the Roman Catholic religion, he aimed to restore its power and influence among his subjects, who were for the most part Protestants. To save the established church and the religion of the nation, his subjects rebelled and called to the throne the Protestant Prince of Orange. James, giving up the crown, fled to France. Here he was kindly received with his followers by Louis XIV, who could, however, say nothing better of him than that he had given three crowns for a mass. From 1688, the date of his flight, until the year 1745, the exiled family were engaged in repeated but useless efforts to get back the throne. We may suppose that in these attempts, the friends of the House of Stuart were not unwilling to accept the influence of the Masonic institution as one of the most powerful weapons to gain their purpose. Had that been done, the institution would have been changed from its true design. The object of the Jacobites, as they were called, or the followers of King James, was not to raise or even maintain the character of Freemasonry, but only to advance the cause of the pretender. However, it must be understood that this theory connecting the Stuarts with Freemasonry does not take it for granted that the third or master's degree was invented by them or their followers. All that it has usually claimed is that there were certain changes in applying its legend. Thus, the temple was understood to refer to the monarchy. The death of its builder to the execution of Charles I, or to the loss of the succession by the forced removal of James II, and the dogma of the resurrection to mean the return of the Stuart family to the throne of England. One of the earliest instances of this political view of the master's legend was that reported after James II left the throne and retired to France. The mother of James was Henrietta Maria, queen of Charles I. The Jacobites called her the widow. The exiled James became the widow's son, receiving thus the title applied in the Masonic legend to Hiram Babif, 
whose death was in that way a symbol of the loss of the throne and the driving of the Stuarts from England. This idea was said to be carried out to such an extent as to cause a new substitute word to be used for the master's degree in the place of the old one, which was known to the English Freemasons at the time of the revival in 1717. This new word was not, as the significant words of Freemasonry usually are, of Hebrew origin, but was taken from the Gaelic language. This seems to have been done in compliment to the Highlanders, whom, uh, most of whom were loyal to the Stuart cause. The word Macbenach is taken from the Gaelic Mac, a son, and Benach, blessed, and thus means the blessed son. This word may have been applied by the Jacobites to James, who was thus not only a widow's son, but a blessed one too. Freemasonry was in that case made disloyal. A further claim is made that to mark their political hate for the enemies of the Stuart family, they gave to the foremost leaders of the Republican cause the names which in the Freemasonry of old had been those of the unworthy in the third degree. In the Stuart Freemasonry, we find these person givens names generally far from clear in meaning, but when they can be explained, evidently referring to some well-known enemy of the Stuart plans. Thus, Romville is probably made out of Cromwell, and Jubilum, Gwibbs, perhaps was intended to attack the name of the Reverend Adam Gibb, an opposing clergyman, who, when the pretender was in Edinburgh in 1745, used bitterly expressed sermons for five successive Sundays against him. But it was in the making of the high degrees that the claim has frequently been made that the friends of the Stuarts had the most use of Freemasonry as a political weapon. The invention of these high degrees is usually credited in the first place to the Chevalier Ramsay. He enjoyed intimate relations with the exiled family, having been selected by the titular James III, or as he was commonly known in England, the Old Pretender, as the tutor of his two sons, Charles Edward and Henry, the former of whom becoming the Young Pretender and the latter Cardinal York. Ramsay was warmly attached by this relationship, by his nationality as a Scotchman, and by his religion as a Roman Catholic, to the Stuarts and their cause. He doubtless accepted readily if indeed he did not actually invite the advances of those who had already begun to give a political aspect to the Masonic system, and who were seeking to use it for the pretender. Ramsay, therefore, would be inclined by these strong reasons to aid in the altering of the old degrees, or the making of new ones, so that these views might be worked into a special system. Hence, in many of the high degrees invented by either Ramsay or by others of the same school of thought, we will find these traces of a political application to the family of Stuart, which were better understood at that time than they are now. Thus, one of the high degrees received the name of Grand Scottish Mason of James VI. Tessier says of this degree that it is the principal degree of the ancient master's system and was revived and esteemed by James VI, King of Scotland and of Great Britain, and that it is still preserved in Scotland more than in any other kingdom. All of this is, of course, a mere fiction. But it tends to show that there may have been a sort of official admission of the use of Freemasonry by the Stuarts, who did not hesitate to give the name of the first founder of their house on the English throne to one of the degrees. Another proof is the found in the word Jackson, which is a special word in one of the High Scottish or the so-called Ramsey degrees. The word is thus spelled in the Cahiers or manuscript French rituals. There can be no doubt that Jackson is born of Jackson, a mongrel word compounded of the French Jacques and the English son, and denotes the son of James, that is, of James II. This son was the old pretender, or the Chevalier St. George, who after the death of his father took the empty title of James III 
and whose son, the Young Pretender, was one of the pupils of Chevalier Ramsay. These, with many other similar instances, are very evident proofs that the friends of the Stuarts sought to add a political element to the spirit of Freemasonry so as to make it a useful tool for the bringing back of the exiled family and to put its head upon the throne of England. Of the truth of this fact, it is supposed that much support is to be found in the account of the various efforts for restoration made by the Stuarts. When James II made his flight from England, he went to France, where he was kindly received by Louis XIV. He made his home while in Paris at the Jesuitical College in Clermont. There, it is said, he first sought, with the help of the Jesuits, to start a system of Freemasonry which should be used by his followers in their schemes for his return to the throne. After a useless visit to Ireland, he came back to France and repaired to Saint-Germain-en-Laye, a city about ten miles northwest of Paris, where he lived until the time of his death in 1701. One of the Stuart myths is that at the Chateau of Saint-Germain, some of the high degrees were invented by the followers of James II, assisted by the Jesuits. The story is told by Robison, an open enemy of Freemasonry, but who gives correctly the general form of the Stuart legend as it was taught in the last century. Robison says, The revolution had taken place, and King James, with many of his most zealous adherents, had taken refuge in France. But they took Freemasonry with them to the continent, where it was immediately received by the French and cultivated with great zeal in a manner suited to the taste and habits of that highly polished people. The lodges in France naturally became the rendezvous of the adherents of the exiled king and the means of carrying on a correspondence with their friends in England. Robison claims that at this time the Jesuits took an active part in Freemasonry and that they united with the English lodges with a view of creating an influence in favor of the re-establishment of the Roman Catholic religion in England. But the supposed connection of the Jesuits with Freemasonry belongs to a different proposition to be hereafter considered. He further says, It was in the lodge held at Saint-Germain that the degree of Chevalier Macon Essays was added to the three symbolical degrees of English Masonry. The constitution, as imported, appeared too coarse for the refined taste of the French, and they must make Freemasonry more like the occupation of a gentleman. Therefore, the English degrees of apprentice, fellowcraft, and master were called symbolical, and the whole contrivance was considered either as typical of something more elegant or as a preparation for it. The degrees afterwards superadded to this leave us in doubt which of these views the French entertained of our masonry. But at all events, this rank of Scotch knight was called the first degree of the Macomb Parfait, or perfect mason. There is a device belonging to this lodge at Saint-Germain, which deserves notice. A lion wounded by an arrow, and escaped from the stake to which he had been bound, with the broken rope still about his neck, is represented lying at the mouth of a cave, and occupied with mathematical instruments which are lying near him. A broken crown lies at the foot of the stake. There can be little doubt that this emblem alludes to the dethronement, the captivity, the escape, and the asylum of James II, and his hopes of re-establishment by the help of the loyal brethren. This emblem is worn at the gorget or collar of the Scotch knight. It is not very certain, however, when this degree was added, whether immediately after King James' abdication or about the time of the attempt to set his son on the British throne. Although it need not be denied that at a later period the original degrees were modified and changed in their application of the death of Hiram Abiff to that of Charles I, or the dethronement of James II, and that higher degrees were created which still more definitely refer to the fate of the family of Stuart, yet it is uncertain that any such measures could have been taken during the lifetime of James II. There are two periods referred to by Robison. 
the time of the abdication of James II, which was in 1688, and the attempt of James III, as he was called, to regain the throne, which was in 1715. He considers these as being, one or the other, the date of the making of the degree of Scottish knight or master. But this belief does not fit in well with the facts of history. If we assume that the symbolical degrees of fellowcraft and master had not been invented before 1717, or rather a few years later, it is absurd to speak of higher degrees built upon lower ones which did not at that time exist. James II died in 1701. We have no record now that there was at any time any sort of speculative Freemasonry except that of the one degree which was common to Freemasons of all ranks. The so-called King James III, son of James II, succeeded to the claims and plans of his father, of course, in that year, but he made no attempt to enforce them until 1715, at which time he invaded Scotland with a fleet and army supplied by Louis XIV. Freemasonry was then in the same condition that it had been in 1701. There was no master's degree to supply a legend capable of use for a political purpose, and the high degrees were altogether unknown. The Grand Lodge of England, the mother of all continental as well as of English Freemasonry, was not established, or, as Anderson improperly calls it, revived until 1717. The institution was not introduced into France until 1725, and there could, therefore, have been no political Freemasonry practiced in a country where the pure Freemasonry of which it must have been born did not exist. Scottish or Stuart Freemasonry was a structure built upon the foundation of the symbolic Freemasonry of the Three Degrees. If in 1715 there was no such foundation, it follows, of course, that there could have been no building erected upon it. The theory, therefore, that Stuart Freemasonry, or the making of degrees, and the change of the old rituals to establish a system to be engaged in the support and the advancement of the falling cause of the Stuarts was begun during the lifetime of James II, and that the royal chateau or palace of St. Germain in Ley was the place in which between the years 1689 and 1701 these degrees and rituals were made, is based on a mere fable, and not only improbable, but absolutely impossible in all its details. Rebold, however, gives another form to the legend and traces the rise of Stuart Freemasonry to a much earlier period. He says, in the history of the Three Grand Lodges, that during the troubles which troubled Great Britain about the middle of the 17th century and after the beheading of Charles I in 1649, the Freemasons of England, and especially those of Scotland, labored secretly for the re-establishment of the monarchy which had been overthrown by Cromwell. For the success of this purpose, Rebald claims they invented two higher degrees and gave to Freemasonry an entirely political character. The troubles to which the country was subject had already produced a separation of the operative and the accepted Freemasons, that is to say, of the builders by profession and those honorary members who were not merely working Masons. These latter were men of power and high position. It was through their influence that Charles II, having been received as a Freemason during his exile, was enabled to recover the throne in 1660. This prince gratefully gave to Freemasonry the title of the royal art, because it was Freemasonry that had principally contributed to the restoration of royalty. Ragon, in his Masonic Orthodoxy, is even more direct of statement and presents some new details. He says that Ashmole and other brethren of the Rose Croix, seeing that the speculative Freemasons were exceeding in numbers the operative Freemasons, had given up the simple initiation of the latter and started new degrees founded on the mysteries of Egypt and Greece. The Fellowcraft degree was made up in 1648 and that of Master a short time later. 
But the beheading of King Charles I and the part taken by Ashmole in favor of the Stuarts resulted in great changes in this third and last degree, which had become a biblical character. The same period gave birth to the degrees of secret master, perfect master, and Irish master, of which Charles I was the hero under the name of Hiram. These degrees, says Ragon, were however not then openly practiced, although they afterward became the ornament of Ecosaism. We are also told that the non-operative or accepted members of the organization secretly gave to the institution, especially in Scotland, a political tendency. The chiefs or protectors of the craft in Scotland worked in the dark for the re-establishment of the throne. They may have made use of the quiet of the Masonic lodges as places where they might hold their meetings and arrange their plans in safety. The death of Charles I was to be avenged. His followers may therefore have made a Templar degree in which the cruel murder of James de Molay called for revenge. Ashmole, who partook of that political sentiment, then modified the degree of master and the Egyptian doctrine of which it was composed. They also say he made it conform to the two preceding degrees, framing a biblical allegory, incomplete and inconsistent, so that the initials of the sacred words of these three degrees should be those of the name and title of the Grand Masters of the Templars. Northuck, who should have known better, shows respect to these trickeries of history by asserting that Charles II was made a Freemason during his exile, although he carefully omits to tell us when, where, how, or by whom the initiation was effected. He does try, in a trifling style that ought to provoke a smile, to prove that Charles II took a great interest in Freemasonry and architecture, by mentioning the introduction to the Charter of the Royal Society an association whose object was solely the study of the philosophical and mathematical sciences, especially astronomy and chemistry, and whose members took no interest in the art of building or of the closely allied matters of craft importance. Dr. Oliver, whose unfortunate failing was to accept without careful examination all the statements of preceding writers, however absurd they might be, repeats in the same style these fictions about early Stuart Freemasonry. He says that, about the close of the 17th century, the followers of James II, who went with the unlucky king in his exile, carried Freemasonry to France. That there they laid the foundation of that system of innovation or tinkering which later on threw the order into confusion by the establishment of a new degree which they called the Chevalier Macon Ecossais, or Scotch Knight Freemason, and that they worked out the details in the lodge at St. Germain. Hence, adds Dr. Oliver, other degrees were invented in the Continental Lodges, which became the homes of the Friends of James, and by these means they held communication with their friends in England. As the high degrees were not known and probably not actually prepared until more than a third of the 18th century had passed, and as James died long before in 1701, we must have doubts regarding these claims as to dates and persons. Students of Freemasonry in search of the truth must regret these sadly tangled tales in which the boldest and broadest claims are offered in the place of facts, the most absurd fables are presented as accounts of actual occurrences, the known order of events is coolly defied and even their nature warped, the happenings of the 18th century transferred to the 17th. The third degree is said to have been modified in its ritual during the Commonwealth, but we are unable to find that any third degree was in existence until after 1717. We are told that high degrees were invented at the same time, although history records the fact that the first of them was not made until about the year 1728. Such writers, if they really believed what they claimed, must have adopted the curious saying of the early Latin author Tertullian, who wrote, Certum est quia impossible est. It is certain because it is impossible. 
Better would it be to remember the saying of Polybius that if we take truth from history, nothing will remain but an idle tale. We must, then, reject as altogether unsound the theory that there was any connection between the Stuart family and Freemasonry during the life of James II. We can fairly do this for the simple reason that at that period there was no system of speculative Freemasonry existing which could have been made over by the friends of that family into a political tool for its benefit. If there was any connection at all, it must be looked for as developed at a later period. The views of Findel on this subject, as given in the history of Freemasonry, are worthy of attention. They are without that mystical element so plain and so hindering in all the statements which have already been mentioned. His language is as follows. Ever since the banishment of the Stuarts from England in 1688, secret alliances had been kept up between Rome and Scotland. For to the former place the pretender James Stuart had retired in 1719, and his son Charles Edward was born there in 1720. And these communications became the more intimate the higher the hopes of the pretender rose. The Jesuits played a very important part in these conferences. Regarding the reinstatement of the Stuarts and the extension of the power of the Roman Church as identical, they sought at that time to make the Society of Freemasons subservient to their ends. But to make use of the fraternity, to restore the exiled family to the throne, could not have been as contemplated, as Freemasonry could hardly be said to exist in Scotland then. Perhaps in 1724, when Ramsay was a year in Rome, or in 1728, when the pretender in Parma kept up an intercourse with the restless Duke of Wharton, a past grandmaster, this idea was first entertained. And then, when it was apparent how difficult it would be to corrupt the loyalty and fealty of Freemasonry in the Grand Lodge of Scotland, founded in 1736, this scheme was set on foot of assembling the faithful adherents of the banished royal family in the high degrees. The soil that was best adapted for this innovation was France where the low ebb to which Freemasonry had sunk had paved the way for all kinds of newfangled notions, and where the lodges were composed of Scotch conspirators and accomplices of the Jesuits. When the path had thus been smoothed by the agency of these secret propagandists, Ramsay at that time, Grand Orator, an un office unknown in England, by his speech completed the preliminaries necessary for the introduction of the high degrees. Their further development was left to the instrumentality of others, whose influence produced a result somewhat different from that originally intended. After the death of James II, his son, commonly called the Chevalier St. George, does not appear to have actively pushed his claims to the throne beyond the attempted invasion of England in 1715. He afterward retired to Rome, where the rest of his life was passed in the quiet observance of religious duties. Nor is there any satisfactory evidence that he was in any way connected with Freemasonry. This assertion by Brother Mackey is not accepted by all students. Dr. W. D. J. Chetwode Crawley points out that the known facts permit the belief that Ramsey was invited to give his famous oration, not as an initiate, but as a visitor of note to deliver an address before a lodge of Freemasons, that he was only five months in the Stuart home at Rome and never again saw any member of the family. He later on, returning to England by King George's express consent and being welcomed by the government, that he was converted by Fenelon to a faith Catholic, but not Roman Catholic. Brother Crawley further says, Andrew Lang, perhaps the highest authority on the Jacobite, intrigues of, Je of the Georgian period, personally assured the present writer that there was, in his opinion, no ground whatever for suspecting Ramsay of being a political agent. The point is perhaps of little importance, but we may point out that Brother Crawley finds that Ramsay was ten months in Rome, five being in the Stuart household. Brother Hawkins in the Concise Cyclopedia says Ramsay held the post of tutor for fifteen months, and Findel, as we have seen, mentions a year for the time Ramsay was in Rome.
If Ramsay was a Jacobite, he was prepared to bend his powers to accomplish the restoration of the Stuarts to what he believed to be their lawful rights. If he was also a Freemason, he might have seen in that institution a means, if properly directed, of effecting that purpose. If intimately acquainted with the old legends of Freemasonry, he might have resolved so to modify them as to transfer their biblical to political illusions. With this design, he could begin the making of a series of high degrees under whose symbolism to conceal a holy political subject. These high degrees have had a Scottish character. This may be credited partly to a desire to effect a political influence among the Freemasons of Scotland, in which country the first attempts for the restoration of the Stuarts were to be made. We have to this day in Freemasonry such terms as Ecosaicism, Scottish Knights of St. Andrew, Scottish Master, Scottish Architect, and the Scottish Rite. The use of these words is calculated to produce upon readers not thoroughly versed in Masonic history the impression that the high degrees of Freemasonry originated in Scotland, an impression which may have been the object of the Jacobites to make. And since this is a pretty long chapter, we'll go ahead and call it quits there and finish the rest of it up next week. Thanks for listening to part one of Freemasonry and the House of Stuart. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.